This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So overall, the Lord saw all these paradoxes in this centurion who, because of his birth into a godless family, because of his training in godless Rome, his calling to be a soldier in a godless Roman military and surrounded by godless fellow soldiers, yet he steps out publicly to make his confession that Jesus is God. And the Lord will say of this centurion that he'll say, wow, and you know what? He turns to the fo- everybody and says, you know what, folks? He's not alone. The centurion is not alone. He says in Matthew 8, 11, Matthew 8, 11, I say unto you that many, and he might as well have said, many like him, many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. So from all these paradoxes that the Lord saw in the centurion, when the Lord said that this centurion was not alone because there was gonna come many like him from the east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the Lord caps it off in verse 10, Matthew 8, 10, verse 10, verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. The Lord was contrasting the lack of faith in Israel with the great faith in this centurion who is representing others that have come from the east and the west. So what the Lord is saying here was that the advantage that the Lord gave to the Jewish people had become their disadvantage because they reduced all God gave them to a dull religion of dead works. But the disadvantage of the Gentiles of the centurion, for example, representing Gentiles, the disadvantage of the Gentiles to not have all the advantages that were given to the Jewish people has worked out to be the advantage of the Gentiles because they flocked to the Lord from their need and their consciousness of their disadvantage, like this centurion. So 
there's like a parallel here for people who've been raised in the church, who've been raised in a believing family. And if a young person doesn't lay hold on the Lord with his personal vibrant grasp, grip, as the centurion did of the Lord Jesus, then his advantages of being in the church, of being raised in a Christian family, becomes his disadvantage as he feels that the church has just immunized him against God. And the Gentiles, or pagans, I say, those outside, who know nothing about God, and I put myself in that category as a Jewish person who knew nothing about God as well, their disadvantage becomes their advantage. Now, we see more of the Lord in his response to the centurion's reasonings, and we're gonna come back on this part later. The centurion's reasoning that it was not necessary for the Lord to come into his house when the Lord said in Matthew 8.10, Matthew 8.10, when, when it says about the Lord, in Matthew 8.10, when the Lord heard that, he marveled. Just think about that word. The Lord marveled. That word marveled gives us a clear picture of his response to this man's faith. The Lord just paused there when he heard that this man said that, that he didn't have to come. He could heal from afar. He paused that and he just kind of savored it. He just really enjoyed what that centurion said to the point where the Lord just stood there, just savored the moment of the centurion's words. It made him happy. It pleased him. And so the Lord is asked by the Jewish elders to come to the centurion's house, and the Lord just leaves. Okay, that's what you want me to do, the centurion's house to heal the servant. And on the way, on the way to the centurion's house, it says in verse 8, Matthew 8.8, Matthew 8.8, verse 8, it says, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof. And as the centurion speaks these words, we learn a lot about the centurion because his first word in that statement, both in Matthew 8 and Luke 7, first statement is he calls him Lord. He says, Lord. He didn't call him master. He didn't call him teacher. He didn't even call him Messiah. He called him Lord. In other words, he called Jesus Lord. And then what he ascribes to him what he had the power to do. It's very clear what he meant by Lord. By Lord, he meant the same thing. When we call Jesus Lord, we mean Lord as in Lord God Almighty, which is what the centurion meant also. And we know that the centurion didn't call Jesus Lord by himself because it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, 1 Corinthians 12, 3, no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. So this centurion had the help of the Holy Ghost to call Jesus Lord. Now, his next words, after he says Lord in uh, verse eight, he says, Lord, I am not worthy thou shouldst come under my roof. That was a very important point that the centurion wanted to make to the Lord, that he said, I am not worthy. He, He wanted to make the point, he was not worthy. And Luke says it twice. In his account in Luke 7, 6 through 7, that we saw, Luke 7, 6 through 7, where it says, then Jesus went with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him saying, 
Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldst enter into my house. And then the next verse says, Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. So the centurion is saying, I'm not worthy that you should come into my house, and I'm not worthy that I should go to you. This is quite a statement. And the centurion had a very solid view of himself, and his view of himself was that he himself was not worthy. Now, this shows us a fundamental difference between the centurion and the elders of the Jewish people. Why? Because the first thing the Jewish people said about him was what? In Luke, Luke 7, 4. Luke 7, 4. That he was worthy for whom he should do this. The Greek word's axios, which means worthy to the point of deserving praise. He is worthy. He deserves praise. They're forming the Lord. Lord, I don't think you know who this is. This is somebody who's worthy, deserves praise. And the reason that they said that, that the Jewish elders said that about the centurion, is worthiness deserved praise because, Luke 7, 5, Luke 7, 5, for he loveth our nation and he hath built us a synagogue. So the elders of the Jewish people said that he was worthy and the centurion was emphatic to say that he was not worthy. How could that be? How could there be such a, such a fundamental disconnect between the elders of the Jewish people and the centurion on exactly who the centurion really was? The elders of the Jewish people are, are saying he's worthy. Why? Why did the elders of the Jewish people say he was worthy? Because they were looking at the outward of this centurion, and as they did, they saw a beautiful synagogue that he built. And they said, because of his great work of building the synagogue, he's worthy of praise. But the centurion was obviously not looking at the synagogue that he built. He was not saying, you know what, it really is a beautiful synagogue. Wow. He said, I built it, my own lonesome self. I really like the way it turned out. Boy, took a lot of money, took a lot of effort to build that synagogue, and I did it all by myself. Why, I'm really worthy. I did that. I'm so worthy, I think I'm going to name that synagogue. I think I'll call it after my own humble self. That's it. That synagogue is going to be called the Centurion Synagogue. That'll be for all time. I'll be remembered. I'll be thought of as the centurion who built the synagogue. That synagogue was not what the centurion was thinking about when he thought about himself. And that's a fundamental difference between the elders of the Jewish people and the centurion in what they were focused on when they thought of self. For those elders, they were focused on the outward works, what a person did, what a person accomplished, what charity he gave to, how much money he gave to those charities, how many walls of names of charitable per person that gave to this cause and that cause was his name on, how much money he gave for this cause and that cause, how much that good person did in his life, did. Those elders were focused on the field of the outward. The elders were focused on what everyone can see. But on the contrary, this centurion was not focused on what everyone could see when he looked at himself. He was focused on a totally different field. And this centurion was focused on the field of the inward. The centurion was focused on what everybody could not see of himself. 
He was focused on an area of life that the Bible directs the wives to focus on to become meek, and it's called, in the Bible, the hidden man of the heart in 1 Peter 3, 4. 1 Peter 3, 4 is speaking to wives. 1 Peter 3, 4, 4, it says, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. This term is so important, the hidden man of the heart, because it tells us the difference between the elders of the Jewish people there and the centurion. In estimating himself, when he looked at himself, the centurion was focused on the, what was hidden from others. He was focused on the hidden man of his heart. And what he saw in this hidden realm of his heart caused him to cry out, unclean, unclean, unworthy, unworthy. Just like Paul, who looked at the hidden man of his heart and cried out in Romans 7.24, Romans 7.24, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Paul looked at his hidden man of his own heart and he cried out, Death, death. Whereas the elders looked not at the hidden man of the heart. Who cares about that, they said. They looked at the obvious man of his works, and they saw a big, beautiful synagogue. And this difference between focusing on the outward, the outward seen works of a man, versus the hidden man of the heart was exactly what the Lord Jesus was addressing when he spoke to the elders, and to, well, the leaders, I should say, the leaders of the Jewish people, and he said to them in Matthew 23, 27, Matthew 23, 27, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whited sepulchers, whited coffins, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. So the elders looked at the centurions outward, and they said, beautiful, a beautiful synagogue, and they pronounced worthy. The centurion looked at his inward heart and said, full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness, and he pronounced not worthy, not worthy. And that's why the centurion leads us, he's, the centurion is leading us to be in sync with the saints in heaven, where there's not one saint in heaven today who is saying, I am worthy. Not one saint. Every saint in heaven is saying that there's only one person who is worthy, as we see through a window of the book of Revelation into heaven, and we read in Revelation 4.10, Revelation 4.10, the four and 20 elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their thrones, cast their crowns before the thrones, saying, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are created. When David comes to the Lord in prayer, he didn't say that I should be heard because I'm worthy. No, David he said he would call on the Lord because the Lord was worthy in Psalm 18.3, Psalm 18.3. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. Now, this is such an important issue here about worthy, not worthy, because it's this issue of worthiness 
that is the hallmark that makes the difference between the true children of God and the many pretending to be children of God. And you see this difference between the true and the pretending children of God when it comes to the end of their lives. And they're convinced that they're going to be allowed into heaven, but instead to their shock, they're cast into hell. And their last conversation with God, their final and last conversation with God is in Matthew 7, 21. Matthew 7, 21, where the Lord said, Matthew 7, 21, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. So we're talking about entering into the kingdom of heaven, going to heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now, those people, the pretend group, the pretending children of God, give three reasons why they should be led into heaven. And those are three claims that start off with, have we not? First claim, have we not preached in your name? Second claim, have we not cast out devils in your name? Third claim, have we not done many wonderful works in your name? But in front of each one of those three reasons for them, it could be, they could say, we are worthy because. First, we are worthy because we have preached in your name. Second, we are worthy because we have cast out devils in your name. Third, we are worthy because we have done many wonderful works in your name. And because they were in essence saying we are worthy, they were not allowed into heaven. They were cast into hell. Why? Because there's a fundamental rule in heaven that when you're in God's presence, which is what heaven is, 1 Corinthians 1.29 holds. 1 Corinthians 1.29 says that no flesh should glory in his presence. That simply means no one in heaven will ever say, I'm worthy, that's why I'm here in heaven, because I'm worthy. And the centurion understood this. The centurion got it. And he lived in this principle of unworthiness. But the elders of the Jewish people, they didn't get it, they didn't understand this, and they did not live in the principle of unworthiness. So by seeing himself as unworthy, the centurion is meek. He's meek, he has the meekness that the Lord Jesus spoke about himself. And even though the Lord Jesus was worthy, the Lord Jesus never said about himself, I'm great. Just the opposite, the Lord invited people to learn more and more and more about him. And then he told the people what they would find about him and he told them what benefit that would be to them when they found it in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, he said, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So the Lord said to those who knew that they were going the wrong way in life, that they should one, come to him. Two, take their place working with him. And three, learn of him. That first, that means first, come. Come to him as a dirty, rotten sinner. That's the need. Come to him for forgiveness and cleansing. Second, accept a new life of working with him. Like two oxen on the same yoke, get in his yoke. 
Third, learn all about him. Learn in a meaningful, quiet times with an open Bible and an open heart. Because he said that what a person would discover when he learns more about the Lord Jesus is a wonderful meekness that there is about the Lord Jesus. And that discovery, that discovery will be so intriguing and so satisfying that there will come a peace and a rest to the soul as the discovery of his meekness is, and it will generate this meekness in the soul because the follower wants to be more like him. And this meekness is what the centurion had and the elders did not have. The centurion is what, when you look at the centurion, that's what humility looks like. You look at the centurion is a man who looks at his hidden heart and says, I'm not worthy. Just like Paul, just like with Paul, others spoke of Paul as the great apostle, but Paul spoke of himself in 1 Timothy 1.15, 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He said he was the worst of all sinners. The man who wrote more of the New Testament than any other person calls himself the worst of all sinners. And the more we see of the Lord Jesus, the less we see of ourselves. Job was one of those very fortunate persons in the Bible who saw Jehovah Jesus. He saw him. And after Job saw him, something happened. He said in Job 42.5, Job 42.5, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. This is what Job said. Mine eye has seen thee, wherefore I abhor myself. The more we see the Lord, the less we want to see ourselves. And this is the experience of the man who prepared all of Israel for the coming of the Lord, John the Baptist. He spoke of an imperative in his life. He spoke with the word must in John 3.30. John 3.30. He must increase, I must decrease which means the more John the Baptist saw the Lord Jesus, the less he wanted to see of himself and the more he wanted to see of the Lord Jesus. We have an imperative. This all means we have an imperative in our lives, just like John the Baptist. And the imperative is, for us, Colossians 1.18. Colossians 1.18. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence That's our imperative in life, to make the Lord Jesus in all things the preeminent one, which is why it's so important. It says in Psalm 105, Psalm 105, 2, to do two things. Sing unto him, sing psalms unto him, talk ye of all his wondrous works. Sing and talk, sing and talk. So this part of the centurion, his recognition of his unworthiness, that makes him our brother. That makes him our leader. He's a man who can take us by the hand and lead us to the place of saying the words of Psalm 115.1. Psalm 115.1. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for, Lord, how this centurion teaches us this morning. And we pray, Lord, we might take the example of the centurion to heart. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.